would you call yourself creative? Art, much like invention, is a combination of creativity, inspiration, and skill. And whether we're talking about music, painting, sculpting, or writing, the act of creation is also intensely personal. It's not just about applying paint to canvas or putting pen to paper. Artists pour a part of themselves into each and every piece they create. And that's why it can feel like such a violation when someone uses or sells another person's art without permission. The good news is that intellectual property law can offer artists some protection. Things like photographs and sculptures and other types of artistic works can be protected using a variety of intellectual property rights. More on that later. But let's face it, in the last decade, things have evolved quickly. The rise of social media and meme culture, if you will, has led to an incredible surge in the sharing of images online, often without much regard to ownership or IP rights. And then there's the new kid on the block, NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. But the key, as you're about to hear, may actually be a little more low-tech. Education, because artists can't protect themselves if they don't know how. This is Stroke of Genius, proudly presented by the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. I'm your host, IP enthusiast, entrepreneur, and business growth specialist, Raha Francis. On this episode, we're going to explore the intersection of IP and visual arts and find out what artists can do to protect their creations with the help of a woman who's experienced firsthand what it's like to have her work stolen. If, as Picasso once said, all art is copying, where do we draw the line? How can artists remain free to copy, interpret, and adapt while still protecting their IP and being sure not to infringe on someone else's rights? They're tricky questions, especially in the era of social media and memes, where it's often hard to tell where something came from in the first place. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the IP system is designed and meant to provide protection to artists of all stripes. The main method is copyright law, which in the U.S. protects any work that an artist creates themselves and which displays even a small amount of creativity. Copyright promotes the creation of new works by ensuring authors the ability to control and profit from their works, while also allowing other authors to use those ideas in new works. Copyright protection for art has a long history, with some influential cases of the late 18 and early 1900s settling issues like whether or not photography and advertisements were copyrightable. Of course, things have changed a lot since then. That's why I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today. I hope her experience serves as both an inspiration and maybe a cautionary tale for anyone who hopes to make a living from their creativity. It's my pleasure now to introduce Ishita Banerjee, aka Soul Curry Art, a modern mixed media artist based in Montreal, Canada. Ishita, welcome to Stroke of Genius. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Ishita, before we start talking about what happened to your art, I'd love to learn a bit more about your art. So tell me about your style, your influences, and how you first found your calling as an artist. So, you know, I grew up in India. So my influences, my roots come from South Asia. I became an artist by accident. I was all destined to follow the path of my parents who were doctors, medical doctors. And, you know, as, as Asian parents want their kids to be doctors, it was a tough decision to actually deviate from that and follow my passion to continue and do art. I went down the art school route. I went to College of Art in New Delhi and I did my bachelor's in fine arts. And then I went on to do my master's in fine arts. So I am trained as a fine artist. 
In terms of influences, I work both realistic styles. I worked in different mediums. I have tried my hand at watercolors, acrylics, ink, you name it. I've even tried my hand at sculpture, printmaking, photography. But it was this Cubist style of art that I kept coming back to. And over the course of the last 20 years, I've kind of developed a style and I call myself Mad Men Modern. It is influenced by a lot of things like mid-century modern art, the Bauhaus movement, the Cubist movement for sure. It's a bit 70s, it's a bit retro, it's very modern, it's very contemporary at the same time. My day job was also in design and it was just a couple of years ago that I decided to uh, launch my brand, which I called myself Soul Curry Art. And I went full time into being an artist. It's been a roller coaster. It's been fantastic and it has been challenging at the same time. But yeah, it's been a wonderful ride. Amazing. I got to say, I really relate to going against the mold with um, when you have South Asian parents and you're trying to do something that isn't either doctor, engineer, lawyer. So first of all, kudos to you for taking that first step. I completely fell into it. It was not planned. Art was never on the table at my house. So when I came into art school, I came in like a complete noob, had no idea what I was doing. And I'm talking about like, I I don't want to date myself, but we didn't even have access to computers. So everything that we did, we did by hand. But it was very funny how I fell into art and then I took to it like a fish to water. Like I had a lot of resistance from my parents and art was not considered a viable career option. I was very categorically told that you'll never make a living on art. And I spent the rest of my life proving everybody wrong. Love it. Love it. (laughs) What about the business side of things, Ishita? When did you first launch your brand? I launched Soul Curry Art in 2016. I had just moved to Canada. And, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned was about my influences. So, you know, I came from a very rich South Asian heritage, but I came to a very cold country. I came to the West where everything was, I found everything was gray and black and blue. Those were the colors people gravitated towards. So when I thought of launching my own art here, I really thought about whether color has a place in it. I was also a brown woman in a very white place. So I wanted to separate the artist from the brand because I didn't want to be identified as just a South Asian artist. I wanted to be embraced as an artist in whole. And yeah, I just, then, you know, it took off and uh, people started understanding what I was doing. And I made a small little website. Slowly and steadily, I started getting uh, more and more people interested in my work and things took off from there. Did the thought of IP protection when you were first establishing your brand, first making an Etsy shop, for example, did it ever cross your mind at that point? No, I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, I wish I had known about IP protection at that time. That was definitely not, you know, even a consideration. This was not something that I was taught in art school. Art school taught me that just put in the best work that you can, try and experiment, grow as an artist and put it out there. Mm. We were not taught about IP protection. We were not even taught what was the difference between a copyright and IP. What does IP even mean, you know? So this was the furthest thing from my mind when I started my business. Okay, so you started selling your artwork online. You're doing all right. You're like, IP, okay, didn't really learn that at school. Then you were perusing Pinterest one day and came across something a little shocking. 
Yeah, I mean, I started selling on Etsy and on my website and there were certain pieces that were very, very popular. And I was very excited that, you know, my Cubist style had found an audience and I was very excited about how it was going. And it was late 2019 and it was on Pinterest that I started noticing my images and those were not the images that I had put up or I had even seen anywhere. And the names of the companies that were associated with this image was not something that I was familiar with and I had never even heard of them. So I started digging a little deeper and I found that and on Pinterest, it shows you images based on what you've seen. So I started seeing not just one image, but multiple images of my pieces over and over and over again. And I had this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach saying that I didn't do this. Who's who's putting my art out there? And it was not even changed in the slightest bit. It was the exact same art that was being replicated. And it was so prolific that, I mean, you know, in the course of one week, I found 59 companies doing this. And the saddest part in this all was that I had to constantly prove that I was the owner of this whole work. I kept trying to find out. It was like playing whack-a-mole. The more I kept finding, the more, you know, it kept coming back to me. And I felt like something inherently, deeply integral to me was stolen. I really felt violated because this is something that I worked my entire life towards. And having that blatantly copied and circulated and so prolifically on the internet. That was a huge shock to me. And there were days I just didn't want to get out of bed. I was so sad. Oh oh my God, it it must have been a super upsetting experience. It was horrible. It was like a first I had to do a digging. I had to make sure that these were not clients of mine who were then, you know, circulating this piece or whatever. So I had to, it took me weeks, weeks of work. I wanted to make sure where they were getting it from. How did they get access to high resolution files? How did they find this on the internet? And how how do people get away with this? And I got a lot of, you know, comments from people saying that you should be flattered that your work is being plagiarized or you should be worried if uh, people are not copying you. Mm. So I was really caught up between trying to explain how emotionally damaging it was. I was also going through, um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017. So I was going through a lot of the aftermath of that. And it was, it just came at me like a ton of bricks. And every couple of weeks I would see another image and the whole thing would spiral all over again, you know, and yeah, it was really bad at that time. Oh, she thought that's just a lot. And I, I can imagine it's one thing to just say, Hater's going to hate, copier's going to copy. And it's another one to feel that you actively have to fight that. And, and not only that, just justify yourself. Thanks for sharing. I really want to hear after an experience like this, what advice you gain for both artists and consumers. But first, we're going to go to a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Raha Francis, and you're listening to Stroke of Genius, the podcast that explores intellectual property from the perspective of successful inventors, innovators, and creators. This season, we're tackling some common myths and misconceptions to help you better understand how to navigate the tricky world of IP protection and make the system work for everyone, especially people from historically underrepresented communities. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the work of the IPO Education Foundation, just visit ipoef.org. Welcome back. Today, we're poking around at the crossroads of creativity and intellectual property. 
to learn how artists can protect themselves and their work in our increasingly digital world. My guest is Montreal-based artist Ishita Banerjee, who's had her own art stolen and sold online. Ishita, now that our listeners know what you've been through, I want to focus in on that protection angle. I know you also have thoughts on the NFT trend, and we'll get to that too. But first, I'm hoping you can tell me about the steps you've taken to better protect your art. So we talked about the fact that, you know, when I discovered my art being plagiarized, I started understanding about how, what could I do to protect myself? And that's when I started really understanding what copyright and IP is. And it was it was funny that it really took, you know, a bad event for me to really understand that. And I reached out to a lawyer and that's when he kind of told me that, uh, you know, one step that you could take perhaps is try and register everything that you've done, even though it is automatically assumed that, you know, whatever an artist creates by hand or whatever medium that they're using is automatically assumed to be their copyright. But I wanted to go the extra step and I started understanding about registering and, you know, filing for a copyright number. I started getting a copyright certificate for every single one of them. But that was an expensive undertaking. Each one cost me at least $150 or more, depending on how many I wanted to do. So each piece, and I'm talking about supposing I have say 300 pieces. So that is that is a significant amount of money. But uh, I decided that, you know, I didn't want to take that chance and I went the extra mile to register. Hmm, That's a good move. Registering does provide you with added protection, for sure. Then what happened? Then I started understanding and reading about what rights do I have as an artist? What does ownership really mean? And what does somebody who buys from me really get when they, you know, buy a piece from an artist? And I started talking to a lot of other artists who've been in similar positions, because once I started seeing these overseas companies who plagiarize and sell art, I started noticing art from uh, people that I follow, that I've been, you know, friends with also. And I started reaching out to them and I started to see how prolific it was. It was not just about, you know, fine art. It was sculptures. It was home decor items. It is. It could be a Zara dress that is hot right now. It could be somebody's knitted hat that they had done. So, you know, it was literally every artist that I spoke to had been compromised in some way or the other. And I started reading more about it and understanding what I could do to protect myself. And one of the things I definitely wanted to also talk about was how do you find who the artist is? How do you know that what you're buying is authentic? And I started writing a blog. I started, you know, posting things on my Instagram about how people could be aware of spotting fakes and, uh, you know, making sure that they buy from the original artist themselves and how damaging it is, you know, emotionally damaging, financially damaging. This is this was a huge financial loss that I took. Things that I was selling for $100 was being sold for $5 by these companies. And there were thousands of pieces sold. Just that that number was so staggering. It was psychologically playing with me. And I'm like, if I put the same work out there, would somebody really care? Would somebody, you know, want to buy a $100 piece from the artist versus a $5 piece from a plagiarizing company? How would that work? Gosh, experiences like this invoke an almost existential question about what it means to be an artist and what it means to have your ideas valued. And it's so great that you were passing on this information through your blog. They say we live in a right-click-save world where people can unfortunately just take another person's IP almost effortlessly. Do you think we've made art too accessible? 
and especially now i feel like art is so accessible because we are always on our devices art is on instagram art is on tiktok art is the websites that we are looking at art is on pinterest art is everywhere and art is also very global so whatever is copywritten in canada may not have the same protection in an overseas country for example so you know i feel copyright laws need to be changing and adapting to this changing environment that we are in because now we live in a global marketplace we are not bound by geographical borders you mentioned that fellow artists so many of them echoed the same pain of having ideas so easily copied do you think there's a lack of understanding about ip rules in general absolutely absolutely 100% there's a general lack of awareness of what is ip and what is copyright and what is inspiration and what is really copying so you know i feel like there is such a thin line between being inspired and plagiarizing you know people are just not aware of what they're doing every single day and i'm still going through this every single day i see people who have copied my pieces and they're selling it on the internet for whatever you know i mean it could be somebody who's completely unaware of you know copyright rules i keep reaching out to them and you know i feel like maybe if i reach out to one person and try and explain you know what the position is i keep telling them you know there is a difference between being inspired and taking somebody else's work and monetizing it financially so you know there is a lot of education that needs to be done especially among artists i feel like we need to make this a a course in school in art schools in you know conversations we need to have this more and more often because the internet is a very transparent place and sooner or later you get called out for you know copying or plagiarizing more and more so now than ever because we spend most of our lives on these platforms and internet all the time Let's talk about NFTs then. Before we discuss the benefits of them, maybe could you briefly explain to us what what got you into that world of even thinking about NFTs? So when I started looking at NFTs, I found that it was it was a piece of art that has a unique digital token associated with it. And this unique digital token is then locked forever on this blockchain on any blockchain that you're part of, which remains immutable for eternity. and what it does it it tells gives provenance to the artist and it also enables the artist to earn royalties for every sales happening in the you know in the secondary market so this was something that i was completely unused to people owning my work and then wanting to sell it further because i as an artist you never got royalties back from that so you know that was something that intrigued me i felt like this is something if this is something coming back to me in perpetuity and then i started thinking of my legacy what is it that i'm trying to communicate because as art is always a statement right art is trying to make a statement whether we are making a statement on ourselves or on, on the people around us and i definitely think of the pieces that i create as legacy pieces and i wanted that provenance going back to me and that's when i started exploring nft technology and nfts are nothing but a unique digital token that is associated with any artwork it could be a piece of physical art it could be a piece of digital art it could be the deeds to your house it could be the deeds to your car it could be anything but it gives proof of ownership to the person that is buying the art it also gives provenance to the artist which remains immutable on the blockchain 
you've mentioned NFTs are are great and they're a new approach to to just protecting your legacy and ensuring the provenance back to you. But it's kind of not the be all and end all. You sense some some limitations. Could you maybe speak to your, your take then on the future of NFTs? Are they a flash in the pan? Is there a world beyond that that you're thinking of? Well, NFTs is not, you know, the answer to everything because there is still you're putting up a piece of work on the blockchain, which is again accessible, right? People can right click and save it and use it. And I've I've had people trying to scam or replicate my work over and over again. But even though somebody is replicating it, it's not they really don't have the digital ownership because that token is only associated to the work that I have minted onto the blockchain. And also the NFT community is tight and strong and, you know, the malpractice gets called out and taken down very fast. So, you know, when scams happen or when people try and copy, they get called out. But again, that doesn't prevent people from right-clicking and saving if they want to. One way I'm seeing people do something with IP is also they're giving IP away for their buyers. So instead of just retaining the IP as most artists do, and like I do as well, I retain my own IP. A lot of artists are giving IP to their buyers that enables them to use the artwork for their own commercial purposes. But until that is specified in the contract, in the smart contract with the NFT, it is always assumed that the IP rests with the artist. It's really cool to see you exploring these worlds, exploring technology. And also, I got to say, it's it's. Also really lovely to hear that it's not just the technology, the processes, the contracts, but also the culture you've experienced. The culture is definitely very tight. I feel like it's a very supportive community, the NFT community, and artists are there helping each other out. So when people have their work stolen, it gets called out very, very fast and things fall into place faster. Any advice you'd give to customers, to people who buy art, what do they need to know? I, I feel like it's in line with what you mentioned for artists. Absolutely. I mean, as a buyer, if you're looking at a price that feels incredulously low, chances are there is something going on there. So just do a little bit of digging. You just need to take a snapshot of that image and do a reverse Google image search, which will show you everything that, you know, everywhere that image is there. So you will be able to find out who the artist is. Look at the artist, you know, look at their work. It could be something that the artist is copying, for example. So you make sure that the artist that you're buying from has the style that you're looking at. If you're buying from a third party website, ask questions who the artist is. Most often, if they have licensed from an artist, they will have, you know, the artists on their website. Oftentimes, they will also have the artist's page on their website. So you will be able to do that digging, make sure that you're buying from the right people and the funds that you're spending is going back to the artists themselves. And also find out what you can do with the art that you've got. Just because you've bought a piece of art doesn't mean you can print it on a t-shirt and sell it. Wherever, you know, there is doubt or on the side of caution, find out what you can do with it. So, you know, there are, there are these conversations. There is a lot of gray area, which I feel like both the artists and the consumers need to be talking about. And we need stronger regulations in terms of IP laws that addresses the global marketplace and not just, you know, a small area where we are in right now. Those are some of my, you know, learnings and some of the things that I actively try and talk to people about because often, you know, sometimes you need to get burnt to really emerge from the fire as a phoenix. <laughs> so Totally, totally. Oh, I love the, I love the imagery there. So Shita, tell me, what would be your final takeaway to 
artists, aspiring artists, or just yourself, a younger you five years ago? I would say think of IP before anything else. The minute you put something up on the internet, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of possibilities, good and bad. So be aware of IP laws right from the get-go. Register your work, document every bit of it. So if there is ever contention, you have that documentation saying that these are my raw files, this is how I started, these are my sketches. And uh, have this conversation going, have this conversation on IP and copyright going, because I feel like people don't copy parts of a book and just publish it anywhere. Why do they do that with art? So, you know, if, if we could have those kind of conversations, then I feel like we are going to be making bigger strides towards uh, protection for artists. That's perfect. Thanks so much for sharing your story and your time and your invaluable advice with us, Ishita. Thank you so much, Raha. It was a pleasure. My guest today has been Ishita Banerjee, an artist based in Montreal, Canada. Wow, what a story. Ironically, one of the first comments on a news article I read about Ishita's experience accused her of pinching some ideas from Picasso. I know, I know, you should never read the comments. But it really drives home the notion that art, much like other forms of invention, wouldn't exist without building on what came before. And that's where the intellectual property system can provide safeguards both to artists and to their consumers. Good to know, right? And as we heard from Ishita, it's really knowing the rules that's the key here. I'm Raha Francis, and this is Stroke of Genius, brought to you by the IPO Education Foundation. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. You can learn more about Ishita Banerjee's art by checking out the show notes of this episode. Bye for now. Bye for now.